Here we are with episode two of the World Skills Work It Out podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. This podcast explores the topsy-turvy world of career journeys as we bring in guests from lots of different industries and find out their story. We also talk about world skills and the opportunities it leads to. Today's guests Darren and Nathan are both involved in the jewellery industry and have both been previous world skills competitors. Our host for this episode is Darren May. Welcome, Darren. Thanks, Brenna. Uh, really glad to be here. I'd also like to introduce uh, Nathan Kettle, who was our uh, proud representative for the jewellery category at the recent Russian national competition in Kazan. Hello. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's get into it. Look, Nathan, uh, you've gone through an amazing journey that uh, culminated in representing Australia uh, only a matter of months ago in, in Kazan, Russia. I suppose the, you know, the obvious question is, how did you find the competition in Russia? Oh, it was, it was incredible. It was nothing like I could have ever imagined. I just, the scale of it is enormous. I just, yeah, it was just, it was incredible to be a part of that, to just spend those four days focusing like all these years building up to it to all culminate to that. It was just, it was an incredible experience. Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's an amazing atmosphere to be in. And, you know, this isn't my first radio at an international competition. So it's always interesting to talk to somebody that's never been there before. The thing I find the most interesting is is looking at the reaction on the competitors' faces when they get to the competition site. You've got that initial, I suppose, overwhelming experience. You're in a big venue. It's a foreign country. And things start to get serious on day one of competition. So how did you find that first day of competition? First day of competition was um, very nervous, very jittery at the start because you get in and everybody's there. All the other categories are around. You've got all the heavy heavy machinery going on around you and... You're just trying to get into your zone, focus on this small bench right in front of you, block out everything and focus on this design that you've just I've just been given. It's not easy to focus in that situation. That's a good point you just made there. We had some big changes to the competition this year and I might come back to those a yep. little bit later in the conversation because um, it's quite interesting to talk about. You know, we've, we've established, I think, quite well here that you did a great job at the international competition, but let's have a talk about your journey before the competition, which didn't really start at the regionals. It would have started when you got into the industry. Now, jewellery is a, a vocation and a career path that not many people would think about at the age of 13, 14, 15, 16. I've, I've got an 11-year-old and, you know, he's, he's, his whole life at the moment is about programming, you know, yeah. and he comes in and watches me at the workbench with amusement some days. When was the moment that you thought, I want to become a jeweller? Well, I was sort of always through high school, I just had that mentality of wanting to go to university and just sort of academic pathway. And I had the idea of I wanted to be an engineer. I was sort of really interested in like um, aviation. I had my heart set on becoming an aeronautical engineer. And so I had all those hard subjects, extension, maths, physics, chemistry. And around year 11, I just realized that I just hated that. I just, I just did not want to be like all that theory in a university for years afterwards. I decided that I wanted to become get a trade and I still had no idea where I want to go and I came very close to becoming a landscaper actually and then I just saw by chance on YouTube people making jewellery and I fell in love with it straight away and I started looking around found out that it was an actual apprenticeship and a qualification at TAFE and I just yeah called up a bunch of different jewellery stores around my area and someone took me on straight out of school. Uh, Look that's really interesting how we parallel I think you know I've uh I've been making jewellery now for close to 30 years. My mother, actually, interestingly enough, 
was a bookkeeper in the jewellery industry her entire career. Right. And so everyone naturally assumes that's why I moved into jewellery. But I actually started out life as an apprentice chef, funnily enough. So I could have been in the cookery category altogether <laughs> if things had worked out differently. Look, very similar. I, I started as a, as a chef and long hours. I didn't get to see my mates on the weekends because I was working. Didn't necessarily get paid on time either. So I actually ended up going back to school and then um, was literally waiting in the workshop where my mum works because I got on with the guys there really well one afternoon and uh, they said, look, instead of sitting around and wasting your time, make something. And I made a key ring and I've still got that key ring today and that key ring got me my first job ever. So very much like you, I um, I walked around the CBD with my dad's briefcase thinking, you know, I'm you know, a 16-year-old guy, I'm, I'm looking pretty cool here, <laughs> and knocked on doors. And if it wasn't for that key ring, I wouldn't have got a second interview and I did and, and, then, uh, and then my career started from there. So we parallel. It's quite interesting. Yeah. So you were fortunate. Was you work for York Jewellers at the moment? Yes, uh, I do work York Jewellers in um in Penrith. Okay, and was that where you started your apprenticeship? Yes, it was. So um, they were actually the first place I called up because they're quite well known around the Penrith area. And at the time, because it's a family-run business, Doug and Matt at the time were two of the jewellers there, and Matt actually took me on and gave me a trial. And all I needed was those two weeks to um give my best shot, and it worked out from there. I've been ever since, and couldn't be happier. Well, uh, look, just getting back to how I said earlier that the jewellery is probably not the first career decision that people make. That said, we're also a very, very close industry. I actually know Doug and, and Matt very well, both having competed in World's Goods competitions and you know, both very successful jewellers in their own right. So you're in a really good place there. And the, uh, their father, Rob, very supportive guy as well. Very. So you, uh, you were obviously in a very good position from the start. Let's talk through your regional experience because that would have happened at the Design Centre in Moore. Yes, it would have. So at the time, I, I really never, I'd never heard of World Skills. No idea what it was, and it was Doug, Matt, and Rob because they are very well aware of um, World Skills. They knew all about it and said, "You've just give it a go. Like it's just, um, it's just like a one day competition. You know, give you your best shot. It's really, it'll really help your skills." And because they're speaking from experience, they know they went to the nationals, so they knew how much it can advance their skills. And so I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a crack. And sort of, we got the design for it. And I just, that's all I did. Every day I'd stay back at work and just make that piece. And just, just because the more I made it, I made that, I think about eight or nine times and every single one got better and better and better. And that was the goal of it. At the end of the day, I didn't expect to get, I didn't expect to win regionals, let alone go to Russia. So um, I was just there to, I had this great opportunity to give it my best shot and just improve my skills. Well, that's, that brings us onto, I think, a really important topic and that's, that's the employer. And a lot of people ask me when I was going through World Skills, what are the benefits for the employer themselves? Why should they do it? And it's not only important for you as, as a growth factor in your career, but it's, I actually believe it's actually a really important factor and almost a responsibility of, of our industry and particularly employers to actually encourage this. Look, speaking from my experience, and I want to get your take on it in a second, but you know, I've been very lucky. I've always had supportive employers. My employer almost made it mandatory for me to compete in the regional competitions back in 1991. And I think I came, I came second last at that competition. But then he made me compete again in 1994 and I got a silver medal, you know, and, and that was my start of my World Skills pathway, which, which I want to talk about a little bit later on as well, because we've both got different experiences of World Skills. Just talking about the Eli's and York Jewelers and, and Rob in particular, who owns the business, you know, he'd had both Matt 
and Doug can Pete, who are family. And, you know, that's an interesting perspective as well because you are, you know, you invest in, in, in your children's growth. But here's an apprentice, Nathan Kettle, who is employed, who's, uh, and I often wonder if Doug went, oh, here we go, we've got another one competing in world skills. But how did Rob find the whole process as, as opposed to, say, Doug and Matt? Rob was um, very supportive, almost unflinching in um, his support of this whole journey. Um yeah, like it's a big thing for me because I'm not part of their family. I was actually the first apprentice they took on outside of their family. So it was. it's a big... Oh, it's got to be hugely beneficial for them too. So. Yeah, it, it can also be a risk taking on an apprentice, of course, especially in, um, in jewellery. So um, it was them to have that trust in me and to give me that opportunity and for me to um, just take that one opportunity and run away with it and turn it into something so big. And then it's also just a point of them for as almost as an investment. So they're taking someone with next to no bench skills whatsoever. And these past what, four years now have turned me into such a skilled jeweler that it's very beneficial for them because they can then have a bunch of customers with high quality handmade jewellery, which helps boost their business as well. Yeah, that's a good point you make. You know, I don't think a lot of people realise how much of a commitment it is for the employer, let alone for the competitor. So, you know, they're paying you to be there as an apprentice, which means you're still going going to TAFE one day a week, but you're actually working on site those those remaining four days. So when you become a a competitor in world skills, the regionals and the nationals generally aren't that big a hassle for an employer, in my opinion. But, you know, when when you're lucky enough to represent the country, you then move into a different area altogether. Not only are you having to focus more on your training, which means that the employer is potentially not getting the benefit of you working on the bench, you're also then going to the employer and saying, well, uh, I also now have an external expert or trainer who needs to take over my training. So that's always, I find, an interesting scenario for an employer because I know with with my apprentices, I'm really protective about how I want to train them. And then suddenly someone else is coming in and saying, well, I'm going to take Nathan for a week, a month, and I'm going to prepare Nathan. So how did Rob and the boys find that? So, yeah, that was, um, yeah, obviously a very big step up from the, um, the national competition. So... With at the nationals, the training for that, it was really just sort of me and Doug at the point was um he was sort of gearing me up for it, giving me a bunch of different things to make and helping me towards that. And so after being selected for the skills squad and the to go to Russia, I had to sit down with my trainer and Doug, Rob to discuss the big changes going to happen and the big time commitment investments that are going to go on for this training and. I feel that it can be a bit difficult a thing to say yes to, of course, because there's just it's it's a lot. But they were still very supportive of it, and they understood that. Um, they sort of see because a lot of jewelers will come through our workshop and uh, their workshop. Sorry, it's your workshop too, well, mate. Yeah, and every single one has a different way of going about something. And so I've been there for years, and I've had I've worked with like about five jewelers, five different jewelers, five, six different jewelers, they'll always have, each one will have a different way of going about it. And none of them are wrong. They both get excellent results. They all get excellent results. And so having, so they know that even having someone as skilled as my trainer, Jyoti, is a really great opportunity because she will know things that I wouldn't know in the workshop. And that my skill level just increases even further because I know how to do things more efficiently. I know new ways to go about it. And then I can help out in the workshop even more if someone is struggling with a piece. So Yeah, that's, look, that's a good point. Look, again, I had a, I had a very similar growth in, in the industry. I worked in a great workshop, a company called Nauti Jewelers, who's still around today and you know, 
very close, you know, he's a father figure to me, but that wasn't the one and only place that I trained in. And I'm a strong believer in that, that you learn from everyone and we learn every day of the week. I still learn everything, I, you know, God, I'm making the Melbourne Cup these days, so I've, <laughs> I've, I'm, I'm now learning how to spin gold. So I've never, never learned that before in my life. So that only makes you a really stronger person moving forward. And I see that internationally. It's quite interesting. Yeah, Australians love beating their own drum overseas, but uh, you know, in our industry in particular, and I'll give you a great scenario. Now we have, uh, we actually have the French competitor from Kazan yeah. working for Matthew Eli now in, in Wallara. So Matt was looking for a jeweller and asked me if I knew anyone. I said, look, I, did, I didn't think I knew anyone at the level he required here in Sydney, but I said I knew, I knew this great young French guy from Kazan, and he's now working there. But interestingly, he's never polished before in his life. Oh, really? And he's never ever rhodium plated or electroplated before in his life. And for the people listening at home, polishing obviously is where we, we use different mops and different grades of compound to actually put that high luster on the gold that you see. And then electroplating is a process where we either gold plate or silver plate or rhodium plate the finished item. So anyone out there that's wearing an 18 karat white gold ring, it has 99% of the time been rhodium plated, which is coated with platinum. And why do we do that? We do that because White gold typically is a very grey colour, whereas rhodium is part of the platinum family. It's white. So all white gold is plated with rhodium. So when we travel overseas, we can do it all, basically. Yeah. At, the, at the end of the day, and Matthew's a great, Matthew Eli's a great example of that. Uh, he went to London on, as part of the Australia Overseas Foundation, and he found himself in a workshop in London where he was capable of doing everything. So he was the one person in that workshop that could do everything that uh, each other individual in that workshop was only a specialist in one area. So so you're in a good position there moving forward. Let's have a quick chat about Jyoti. I want to talk about Jyoti too. She's very close to home for me. Jyoti was, was my competitor in 2015 and I've been very fortunate. I've had some great competitors over the years. Actually, every one of them has been a good competitor. But I've been very fortunate to have uh, two medals come back for jewellery. And I think for jewellery as a whole, that's a good thing. Jyoti was your trainer initially. Probably a mentor to start with, I think, but then your trainer and then Jody has taken over from me as the international expert for jewellery because I've moved up to the role of uh, skill competition manager. Jody had great success in Sao Paulo in 2015, bringing home a silver medal. And in my opinion, she had the ideal work ethic. She was very committed to what she yep. did. I remember her at the national competition. I've got to be careful if she hears this. She won't be able to walk out of a doorway, but um, <laughs> uh, very committed in what she did. She knew what she wanted, even at the national competition she wanted to win. And preparation in the lead up to the competition, she became part of our family, our extended family. And she still is to this day. So she used to come up and stay with us at our house. And that's a big thing for a competitor. I think that's a, a good thing. If you can actually live in the same house as your trainer or your expert, it means that you're a really tight unit. And I know that you guys did that down in the rumour as well. I want yeah. to talk about that in a minute. But um her ethics behind training, I think, are second to none. So let's have a little bit of a chat about your whole training experience because you were travelling, you live in Western Sydney up in Penrith and you work in Penrith and then throughout the lead up to the international, you were going down, travelling down by yourself to Naruma, which is a beautiful little seaside town in, in southern New South Wales and you were actually living with Jody. correct me if I'm wrong yep. there, but and then also training each day. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so... um. Of course, it's a very, very big change from all that. So I'm um, coming away from just the regular sort of day-to-day -day at work. And then one week a month, I would drive down five hours south to go spend some time working with Jyoti in her workshop to learn off her. So 
it was very it was very um daunting at first just a massive change like you know staying with people that I don't really know in a workshop that I've never been in before under the pump to make these pieces but again that's that's a really good idea for to get you into the zone for it but it was just the more and more I did it it just it, it felt like my routine and like honestly now I sort of miss going down there and because it's just an excellent place and yeah Toby I miss it too don't worry <laughs> is, um, is just she's just a wonderful person to um to work with so and then by by the end because I was down there in her house with Joti, her husband Mitch, and their dogs, and it was like being a part of their family. It they're, was, they're crazy dogs. They are crazy, yeah. but I love them. Yeah, it's just it's just incredible to be a part of it, and um, yeah, they they do feel like family to me now. And that's that's I think a, a really good example of of some industry support as well. You know, Joti works for Georgie's Fine Jewelry, and you know Georgie, you know her own right is a very successful craftswoman. A number of stores down the south coast, and. You know, I, I don't know what you think, uh, Nathan, but I, I see a real similarity in Jyoti's work ethic to Georgie. So I can see the mentorship yeah. that Georgie's had with Jyoti over the years. And so you're going into a spectacular workshop down there. It's and, incredible. And, you know, the beach is just down the road, you know, the inlet's down the other end. You know, you stay at Jody's house, you can walk to the surf beach for a great breakfast. You know, it's a really tough training life, <laughs> isn't it? And, you know, that support I think is fundamental because without people like Georgie, we wouldn't have success like you had over in Kazan and I was the same in 2015 you know I remember having to sit down and have what I like to call a conversation with the employer and that is that uh, first and foremost congratulations on the great success of of, of your your jeweler but we'd like to take them overseas yeah. okay and that's always an interesting conversation to have and I've had that conversation a few times now and they haven't always been easy conversations because you know as a business owner you have to think about paying the rent and paying the other staff and you know, it can be quite a drain on an employer having their employee essentially away for a period of time. Georgie is a great example of employer support. The company I work for, Pallion, are very similar as well. I'll talk about that in a minute anyway. But, um, yeah, I found, you know, sitting down with Georgie, and Georgie's a, I love her to death, but the you know, first time I met her, she scared the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah, I got that um, feeling. And, you know, I, I got summoned up to her office and I sat across from her and I had to say, look, I, I you know, I think you've got a great, person here in Jyoti and I think she'll do really well overseas but uh, I will need her time and surprisingly she was really good about it you know when I was the international expert Pallion provided not only the metal for the training but we also provided the training facilities so we have workshops in in, in our head office in Sydney so Jody would come up once a month for a week and as I said stay in the f- family home with us and you know my son loved it to death and still does to today and then travel in to work with me so we'd live together yeah you know for that whole period of time and you know if you're not getting on it can be really difficult but I found I found with the uh, example of Georgie that uh, the support was always there you know interestingly I I had a another potentially great competitor for 2017 but unfortunately in that example the buy-in and I suppose that's the right word for it from the employer was a little more involved to the point it, it actually became a little bit too much of a stress on the business for the employer and so unfortunately the competitor pulled out and that's always a bit of a gutting experience when you head overseas as an expert without an employer. So um, so let's talk about Georgie just briefly. Well, yeah, so um, it's an incredible place down there and um, she was super supportive as if I was working for her. She was so so on board with me training and they, everybody down there was super excited as if I worked there and I, it was one of their employees going off to Russia to compete. It was 
They're, they're just tremendous. The encouragement from all of them, the support, and because they've been all, they, Georgie's been through it all with um, with Jyoti, so she knew exactly what I was going through, and um, yeah, no, they, they were just they were incredible. Everywhere around was super supportive, and I feel that's just really necessary for. And, and tell me, how how did they find? You know, let's talk about preparing for a World Skills competition, because the way a jeweler makes a piece of jewelry on the bench nine to five five to six days a week is very different to how you might go how we make a piece of jewelry for a world skills competition and just for the people listening just to explain that the reason i say that is because a world skills competition consists of the test project but also a marking scheme and then a document uh, that we refer to affectionately as the bible the technical description and the technical description outlines the key factors that will be assessed when you are at the competition. And they're the things that you focus on when you're training to ensure that you are at your absolute peak optimum best when you're, when you're making the piece. Whereas sitting down in a workshop, although it's a structured environment, it's, it's not quite as regimented as preparing for a world skills competition. So, you know, how did, uh, I know Jyoti gets it because she's been there before, but an employer who's, who's giving that buy-in and allowing not only you to come into their workshop, but also their head jeweler to disappear for periods of time. How did they find the focus on technique? You know, the way we prepare for an international competition, we're focusing on skills. And we're focusing on skills under a microscope because of that technical description, which outlines how the piece will be assessed and the, and the skills that we're focusing on. In a workshop, we're not as regimented as that, okay? it's We already understand what we need to do to make that piece of jewellery. So how was Georgie's um, you know, response or how do you feel she dealt with the, the focus on skills that you have for a world skills competition? I feel that she's very all for it because, of course, she has been there before. And um, while the it is different, very different to um, a workshop environment, the skills are very much transferable. So working under that microscope and to such a, um, a small margin of error, it gets transferred into the workshop and day-to-day work very easily and those pieces become even better. So there's everything is made much more accurately. It's a lot cleaner, it's a lot neater. And it just, yeah, it works out a lot easier to uh, be transferred into the workplace. Yeah, look, it's interesting uh, you say that. Like a lot, a lot of people listening to this podcast are probably saying to themselves right now, I've never ever considered what goes into making a piece of jewellery. Yeah. Uh, and there are varying degrees of quality of jewellery out there in the marketplace. You know, uh, in the last, in, in, you know, in the 30-odd years I've been making jewellery, there's been some big changes to the way we make jewellery. Mass-produced jewellery is very much the norm now. So if you walk into a, a Goldmark or a Proud store or, or a Michael Hill store, a lot of that is mass-produced. And and so for those listening, that means that a mould is made of the item and then gold is cast into that mould in very simple terms. And so it doesn't have that degree of handmade. But uh, you know the likes of Nathan and, and myself and, and really anyone that's competed in world skills or will be competing in world skills, the focus is on on handmade. So everything that is produced is done by hand. And that's a skill that I think is a skill that's becoming a little bit lost. Yes. Certainly in Australia. And interestingly overseas are having the same the same issues. But I, I'm starting to notice a real return now. The public themselves are really starting to appreciate that quality handmade piece. And I always say to my clients, you know, the reason that your grandmother or your great grandmother's piece of jewellery is on your finger is because it was made by hand way back then. So we're starting to see that return to skills. Having said that, and getting back to the very start of this topic, when I said that um, 
it's not a career path that most people would immediately think about. Let's just talk about the satisfaction that you get out of making a piece of jewellery. I know myself, when I, I sit there and I complete that piece of jewellery, I always have a moment where I look at it and I just feel absolutely the king of the world that I've finished this piece of jewellery and I've made it by hand. How do you feel? That's it. Yeah, you just it feels incredible to put all that effort and there's a, there's a lot of thought and a lot of literal blood, sweat and tears that go into a piece of jewellery. We're, we're looking at our hands yeah. right now. <laughs> they, they'll, they'll never look nice again. But yeah, and to put all that effort, all those hours to put it, um, going into it and then to have it all set and polished, ready for the customer to see it. It, you just it look it's incredible and to know that to give that to the customer as well and to see the look on their face it becomes it's a family heirloom you can create an engagement ring and it's something that they'll keep with them for the rest of their lives and that's something that I really hold on to because that's that's another big reason why I love doing what I do because I'm creating a memory for someone and it's just it's an incredible feeling to be part of that yeah it look it's it's a really emotive experience I find making jewelry um not only do we get a great deal of self-satisfaction out of it, you know, 90% of the time we're making a, a commission piece for a person that has an emotion behind it. Either it's it's an engagement ring or a wedding ring or it's it's a, a family heirloom that reminds them of a moment in time. And that's why I think we're, you know, no offence to every other skill out there, but that's why I think we're the luckiest ones around yeah. because we get to interpret that emotive wish from the client and it takes a great deal of skill to be able to do that. And we get to be creative. I, you know, I often say to myself, how often, uh, how many other people get to go to work, put their head down at nine o'clock in the morning, and then I find it, I, I put my head up at five and go, just five o'clock already. Yeah. Wow. Because you're being creative and you're enjoying what you're doing. There aren't days that I get in the car and turn the key and go, my God, I've got to go into work today. Every day is always fun. I'm sure you're the same. You know, the perceptions of our skill are always an interesting one, I find, because, uh, as I alluded to before we started this um, this discussion, you know, I've got friends I've known for, you know, 40 plus years now, and they still have this perception in their mind that jewellers change watch batteries. It's yeah. always a humdinger in my book. How do you feel world skills changes that perception? World skills, well, it really opens it up. So the people that I've spoken to about my world skills journey and me as a jeweller, me telling them what I've been through, it really does change their views on um, what we actually do as jewellers and sort of how valuable it can be to sort of to people to have um, that high quality custom made pieces, whereas opposed to something that you'd get that, you know, a, a thousand of them have been made and it's just that um, it makes it that extra bit special. Yeah, well, look, um, the emphasis on skill itself and, you know, world skills and my experience of world skills, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I am today uh, without, A, the mentorship of some great people in my life and, B, my experiences of world skills. So, to, and to put that into perspective, I, I trained in a traditional workshop owned by an Austrian family, not an Australian family, an Austrian family, and they had brought that skill set over in the early 1900s, actually during World War One, the original founder of that business actually had to report to the police every day during World War One because he was a German national. Oh, wow! And a guy that couldn't be any more Australian than you or I. So, what I found WorldSkills did for me, and I'd be interested to get your perspective on this in a minute, is that it it focused my commitment to my craft, and that started for me before the regional competitions when I was actually being trained by my jeweller. And then when I 
was selected for the national competitions. I trained with the international expert at that time, a lady called Celeste Caridi. And I just found, I remember the moment where I thought, I'm, I love this. This is amazing. I'm gonna, I, I want to do this for the rest of my life. So that's my career path, and it's been a very varied career path, and I'm doing some amazing stuff now. You know, like I'm still making jewellery on the bench, but you know, I, I get to make the Melbourne Cup now, and I never, ever thought that would happen. Where do you see yourself in the future? And I know that's not an easy question to answer, but you know, do you think you want to stay on the bench, or do you think you might want to specialise and move out? What are your thoughts? I sort of, I, I'd always, at least to some extent, want to stay on the bench, because I think that's where my heart is, is to be just there making, to some extent, for, for the rest of my life, but... Where I go from there, I, I don't really know. I'm still trying to work that out. I want to expand my skills and learn different, more techniques, stone setting, engraving. Mm. But I also would like to give back as well and maybe teach at TAFE or to um, to help other people go through this journey like I have because this, uh, for me, it's something that it's such an incredible experience that I don't want somebody to miss out because they didn't have that support. And at TAFE, it wasn't very well known. And so I was actually at TAFE a couple of weeks ago giving a talk to the students about my journey. And it's something that I would really want somebody to have that experience. And I don't want them to miss out on it because they didn't know about it. Yeah, you, know, you talk about people not knowing about it. And, you know, I, I'll give a good example. You know, Pallion, as I said, who I work for now, I remember my initial interview. I, I taught at TAFE after my World Skills experience. And it's actually, I think, absolutely fundamental that we all give back. Jody has been involved in mentoring. She stepped up now as the international expert and uh, she's, I think, the ideal person moving forward. We would hope at some stage to see Nathan Kettle actually involved and the national competitions are coming up soon, so it's a good opportunity to get on board and get involved. Absolute pleasure talking to you today. Uh, I will say this about you. I, I got to watch every one of the 16 countries now still compete. Uh, I remember at the Global Skills when you had that moment... A little bit of a mini meltdown. Yeah. Remember that? And you overcame that. And I've got to say this, watching you at the international competition, steely-eyed and focused, and you you didn't flinch once through it. So, um, again, look, thank you for uh, the great result that you had. You helped Australia uh, enormously get up into the top 10 again. And it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you. It's been awesome to have this opportunity. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Join us next week as we meet up with Dermalogica General Manager Christy Milgate and 2017 Skillaroo Lily Campbell as we get up close and personal with the beauty therapy industry. (laughs) 